0: i'm mel stewart and this is swim Swam podcast joining me today is the best looking man in swimming my most favorite olympian the oldest individual olympic gold medalist owning that mark in the 50 meter freestyle bringing the nitro his name is of course anthony Irvin. buddy what's happening
1: hey what's going on mel good to be here with you i mean such flattery that you you loaded on me there i'm like wow Oh, we're just swimmers swammers you know I'm, I'm, you know i'm at the boundary in between you're maybe more <laughs> of a swammer
0: <laughs> well, I, so uh, I, we, we asked you to come on and i and i really felt like i put you in a vulnerable spot and i appreciate you saying you'd come on and talk about this a little bit but this is um this is because of the ioc's recent ruling on rule 50 and protests uh at the olympic games and mm-hmm. um so before we get into that heavy topic and unpack that, I'm, I got I got to say that I did do the prediction game with you for Olympic trials, and I predicted you going nineteen nine in the fifty meter free,
1: and uh, I got some pushback. Nineteen nine? <laughs> am I gonna am I showing up with pins and paddles on?
0: <laughs> I, I did. I was just testing to see if you had actually watched it.
1: Oh no no! I I did watch that. I did watch that. So you know, know what? I are actually uh 2179 was, which right was that is that am i correct i remember it because you gave me one 100th faster than what i went in 2000 which i thought I was like wow mel believes in me you i think I, I could still exceed that effort from uh from 21 years ago
0: i i, I you know basically what i it's it's i think that you don't know i just i think when when people are talented and they and particularly in a 50 it's um I think it's, you know, it's, it can, it can break either way. And I think that, you know, part of it is that it, I was kind of scared. Cause it's like, um, I've seen some old swimmers at alumni meets do stupid things and they haven't touched the water, but they, I'm like, what did you do? And they're like, Robin Leamy, for example, if you know your history, the fastest man in the world in the 50 free before it was officially could, could officially be a world record. And, um, It'd be like, oh, I warmed up and I got my feel for the water and then I just popped it off. But it's a I, – I, I think that there's something to say for timing and flow and rhythm. And I know that if you get that right, it, it a lot of muscle memory and, and the gear can get you there. So uh, are you mad at me? Did I do it correctly? Are you feeling good about that prediction?
1: Oh, I'm I don't know. I, I thought you. I thought you did me good honor. You think I'm still pretty fast? Like I, I'm not confident that I could go under 22, um, but uh, I never know what's going to happen, right? Like I've 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 done this so many times, it feels like, but I, I never know what's going to happen. Um, I am remembering that as we are, I'm kind of entering taper. I mean, I'm still getting some power and speed um, underneath me that otherwise didn't exist, but in the water, it's getting towards a little bit more taper. And I'm remembering, there, there is a bit of like an accelerated learning as you're adapting and making changes and, and making choices and decisions and committing to them. Like it really starts to speed up as you exit training and like just trying to get like fit and hard and you try to get sharp and fast. So, you know, what is the final number gonna look like? I have no idea, but I am enjoying this this last cycle as, as it were. It's I wonder how many of these memories will stick with me, um, you know, because it is like something I forgot and I'm remembering again as I go I mean, through it. The the
0: beauty of this is, you know, you own a piece of history, history that's so unique, um, and your, your your career is so uh, dramatic, and uh, with uh, with the long retirement in between medals, and uh, frankly, that I felt like that medal should have been four years sooner, and. Uh, it was. Um... Oh man,
1: yeah, you hit me with some PTSD on the last time I was on your podcast, making me think about London. I'm like, oh gosh, you hit me with uh, remembering something painful, but, um, but maybe the... painful in the time, but it always, you know, there's a season for pain and there's a season for joy, and joy did follow that, um, and, and that wasn't, and I'm not even talking about Rio, right? That's it's just we're talking about life here.
0: But the, but the point is that you, you 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 do own this history. So I think that when you're at this point in life, the fact that you, you can be in the hunt and, and stand up and race at the trials, is, um, it's clearly a story. It's, it's inspiring. And the interesting thing is that, you know, I go to the swim swim comments. So sometimes they can be brutal. But uh, <laughs> I really felt some, I felt the Irvin love there. I felt some love. They're like, yeah, yeah. This, it was clear this, like the fact that you were going to be there was, was um, made people happy.
1: Well, you know, I agree. And I <clears throat> I felt it too, uh, even so much as, you know, my parents were a little bit worried when they saw, um, you know, when, as, as a, a close mentor of mine, Sabir said, he's like, I haven't seen your lion come so far out its den in a while. When I made that statement about rule 50. And there was a lot of blowback in the comments and my parents read it, you know, and they were kind of like, simultaneously worried, but also knowing that it's going to be divisive. There's no way around it. Like it's, it's unfinished. Um, and, but they are worried and it's like, um, and I had to show them the next piece that you put out where I'm like, listen, if you want to see what the swimming community thinks about me, read some of these comments, right? Like I think that gives you a more holistic look at it instead of just, um, you know, maybe some of the, you know the militia of uh, you know, in, in the culture wars, who see things in the opposite, who may show up to cast their vote on the other side of the coin. You know, so there's more to it. Somebody's politics is not unilaterally only them, um, and you know nobody's life and their even their swimming career can be can be forked in that way.
0: It's it's um, I didn't read the comments on your statement which you made to Instagram and probably that was just muscle memory on my part cuz when i know something is political or someone makes a statement i'm like uh this is going to be rough but i do like that you you've set that next to the performance report on you where your fans come through and, and they and they're excited about you being there and i and I, I appreciate that you you guided you guided your family through the the trauma So let's, here's the thing. This is a, you know, I, I, we talked about this before we started recording, and I, and I, and I, and I asked you if you would come on and talk about um, a topic similar. And you brought up the example and said, you know, I, I, I think that you might be the only swimmer or U.S. swimmer that knelt during the national anthem as a, as a, as a protest. And um, you shared something with me that was, was unsettling and it, it made me, it made me hurt for you, but I understood the gravity of, of what, of what, of what taking, taking a stand and sharing your opinions and what it means. Um, can, can, do you mind sharing a little bit of that?
1: Sure. Um, give me a moment. There's an F-18 flying by, um, or loud. Um, and as I try to gather my thoughts, like, okay, so where do I start? Where do I start? I mean, for one, um I do consider myself a, a political person at this point I was probably largely apolitical or I was um you know libertine/ libertarian um you know because I just wanted to make my own choices and didn't want to be controlled at all through much of my young adulthood um, but now I see I can see bigger picture and I want to um I think there's a better world in front of us and that requires some change right and, and it's simplest Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I believe that the, that equality, we're not quite there, um, that everybody in America is not treated the same, is not given, um, the same benefit of the doubt under the eyes of the law. Um, and that systemic racism, just racial bias, like these are very real things that I've seen anecdotally in my life. I'm not saying me, like, this is not about me, if anything, because I'm mixed race. Um, I've seen both sides of it. I know where I skate clear on some things where somebody else wouldn't for doing less. So it's not about me. It's about others, okay? And yes, I took a knee and there was huge blowback um, that admittedly I was a little naive because I was, I was so sure in, my, in myself in it um, that I didn't think that um, there would be such ferocious blowback, but there was. And that was quite the learning experience. Um, and it actually, there were some anonymous death threats that came towards me. And that was kind of stunning and staggering um, because you don't know, it's like, well, is this just a uh, online troll or is this something you have to take seriously? And you really have to consider these things. And you know, am I just making myself vulnerable in this way? Or is it my family? You know, and there's all these protocols that are involved as far as like, you know, like if you contact the FBI or the police or whatever, and. You know, and it was definitely a big family discussion as far as like what we should do, if anything. Um, but also it was about me understanding the world that we live in because my parents already knew it. They've been through it. Right. I mean, like my dad went to war. My, my mom's been through the grinder for decades before, you know, forming a family and I came along. So there's a lot of things we can learn from our parents <laughs> and I'm still learning from them. Even as I'm, uh, I'm pushing 40, I'll be 40 in a couple weeks. Um, there is a lot of fear. There are people that know full well, like the danger and the threats they can receive for trying to speak out, for trying to stand up for what they believe, um, for trying to speak against the ills of society, because society can be better, whether we're talking about just sport or the world broadly. And there is huge risk in that. And there are a lot of people who would want to say something, but otherwise don't because the cost may be too high.
0: The, uh, so for any young listeners out there who might be dropping in on the podcast, uh, of course, taking a knee was what it was started by Colin Kaepernick, correct?
1: Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and, and what he was doing was he, he, was, he was protesting police brutality, uh, and he, he typically sat down during the national anthem, and, uh, and I think it was, if I understand the story correctly, uh, a serviceman, I think it was a Navy SEAL, said, hey, you should do it this way. You know, a respectful way to do this and be honorable would be to be present for the National Anthem, but take a knee. And that would be a respectful way to do it. And I thought, and when I, when I heard this backstory, I, I, I was like, yeah, that is a very respectful and elegant way to make a statement that is... Um, and I can't believe the sort of pushback because I shared it on my personal social. And every so often, I would share it again when something happened. And when, <laughs> we, had, uh, when we had the riots last summer, um, I did it again. And I, and I can tell you that among the old white men um, that we know that our peers in the sport, and uh, I heard from a lot of them, they were angry. So in private messages, phone calls. And I I was surprised, was surprised, very surprised.
1: Some people don't want their bliss to be interrupted. You know, that doesn't, it just doesn't go with the world and the, the satisfaction they want to keep gliding on, but it's, but it, it happened, man. I was, I mean, it was my birthday and, and I'm, you know, I got cake in my mouth and I'm just like checking my phone. And then I watched George Floyd get lynched. And I I was staggered, like, and I was angry and then I was just sad. And then, you know, what now? Do I do something? Like, what can I do? And we saw that from probably the the country and maybe even the, you know, large parts of the world even. Uh, I think may have gone through very similar some people want to make excuses for it. I don't.
0: No, it, it just, I, I, I didn't, I, I was a wimp. I didn't watch it forever. Cause I've been like, I don't want to watch a snuff film. It, it, it was just horrific. I finally did. I'm like, I got to see this. Uh, so I'm, I'm surprised when people
1: would. I, I didn't know what it was when I saw it. Like, it was just like a video was sent and I just watched. And I just kept watching and I'm like, no, no. And it just, but it just kept
0: going. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, we've, we've experienced a moment, um, in the Olympic space, uh, the IOC has come down with, with rule 50 and we've done some surveys and we find that athletes are split. It seems like society split, um, mm-hmm. politically, but it also, um, the, within the Olympic family on a global basis, athletes are split on rule 50, um, Do you remember the the you know you you gave it some time and then you stepped up and you said something? Do you remember? Can you crystallize the message that you shared? And
1: well, I think what um, what I crystallized from the IOC was that the podium is theirs. Um, It's not yours, and. My (laughs) response was, it's yours, do what you want with it. You can comply and obey. That's a choice, always has been, always will be. You can go against it, you can go against the rule. You can do what you want, that could be your choice. But as well, like you're not, nobody's ever in charge of the outcomes. Whether you do the rule as it's written or you don't, you're not in charge of the outcomes. You make your choices. That was my message.
0: I like that message. Um it's from a personal standpoint, I can't I can't I can't say that I represent swimsime. So I can only say that I represent myself when i when we get into our political leanings or where we stand in terms of humanity. But God, I just don't I mean it's I, I think you have to be a human being. I talked to I talked to one of our friends, our mutual friends, and we and and I didn't bring this topic up. It's all he wanted to talk about. And we and just so you know in the background, we talked for hours and hours and hours and have during COVID. I'm talking Mm -hmm. about Mark Spitz. And uh and Mark Spitz is fascinated by this topic. And of course he went to the sixty eight gangs where Mm -hmm. black glove fists were raised in nineteen seventy two. Uh Mark Spitz was um Mark Spitz suffered through the uh through the terrorist incident Mm -hmm. which happened at uh the Palestinians. That was Munich. That was Munich. Yeah, that was Munich. yeah that was it wasn't. Munich. It, yeah. And I, uh, you know, in talking to him and talking to the coaches that were around him, they were worried that they were going to be killed because Mark is, is Jewish. All right. Oh yeah. Uh,
1: I heard from, uh, uh, what was it, the name of the, the, the breaststroker from Mexico? He was out with them that night that it happened and he came back and it was, yeah. And then he swift exit got out of there too risky.
0: I, I think it's safe to say, you know, Mark is, Mark's in the 70s. Mark's old school. Mark's, uh, but he's a very thoughtful guy. And he goes, you know, it's funny within all of this rule, 50 and we're in the IOC stance. He said, uh, I guess, you know, I'm a part of the establishment. I've always been a part of the establishment. I've always shown up and, and played Olympian and kept my mouth shut. And he does his appearances and he makes his speeches and keynotes, keynote addresses. But because I think I find it fascinating that the IOC barred, south africa from 1964 to 1988 and yet when an athlete wants to use their voice they there, there's a problem with that and he didn't he didn't take a stance but he just he, he put a he put a bright light on it and uh i thought it was pretty smart and, and, and so have you thought about that that's that's an interesting thing as a for folks listening, South Africa was barred from the Olympic games in 1964 because of their racial segregation policy, which is famously known as apartheid. And, uh, and that was, uh, the right move. Um, but that is interesting. And have you thought about the fact that the IOC was, did that?
1: Um, you know, I think more about how rule 50, as it, came into being, uh, is a legacy of former IOC president, Avery Brundage, who was an American, the only time an IOC president has been an American. And he like created that rule. And he was the one who came down the hardest against John Carlos and Tommy Smith for Mexico city and what they did. Right. And this was like in the heat of the civil rights movement. That our, that our parents lived through, right? Like th- that's what I think of, right? And like rule 50, is it's it's a legacy of that. It's still a part of it. It had kind of like gone away the original intentions of it, but it was specifically for that, to deal with that. And Avery Brundage, he wanted to bring, you know, before even before the South Africa thing, Rhodesia was a country that he would, like arguably even worse apartheid and they were banned and he was trying to reverse it. He's like, no, 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 we need to bring Rhodesia back to the olympics this is very important when he was he was a vehement white supremacist it's, he was um, at the helm of the olympics
0: yeah and, and and you know we haven't had leadership a true leadership we we had in the united states we had that leadership at the time and we haven't since not really no nope. no and it would not necessarily a bad thing considering if if you know your history and you know his legacy the uh I do I, I did like Mark's point. Um, but I do appreciate your your little your the light you've shed on on a piece of of, of history in the United, United States well, as a part of the Olympic committee.
1: I mean it goes to show that the Olympic movement, it can live up to its aspirations and um and lead the way for a better world, but it could also fail in that. And so it's like, well, what are we gonna get this time? Right. Like right now, it seems more or less, it's almost like an open dare. Right. Where it's like. You can't do it. You shouldn't do it. We don't know what's going to happen if you do it, right? And I think we want to think unilaterally about the podium as Americans, as this is a place for, for saying something about civil rights or the lack of equality or the pursuit of equality in our country. But as we, I mean, if anything in swimming, podium protests internationally is something different. And right? if we think about the Australians and the British, um, and that's a very different thing, right? So we can't lose sight that this isn't just America's thing, but that doesn't mean that <laughs> what American wants and needs to do in fulfillment of our rights, whether it's rights as, a, as the United States or rights, or broader human rights, um, that does not take a backseat to it, but it's all part of the bigger picture. It's, it's very interesting.
0: I, th- I think that there's a lot, I, I think behind the scenes, frankly, there's a lot of concern. Uh, the Olympics is a movement, but if we're being honest, it's being driven by capitalism. And it is, uh, in, in many respects, if you're, if you're among the Olympic family and you've, you've been there and you, you have that experience, you know that it's a very big corporate convention and there's sports on the side. And it feels like that at times, if you're there and you're retired and you see the backside of it and the, the experience of it. Now there's moments of glory and excitement and, and we get caught up in narratives, but it's um, there's a capitalistic side to it. I think that I wonder personally, maybe you, and I, you're, I think a little bit more of an insider into that community than I am. The uh, I wonder if they're looking at like the Academy Awards and going, wow, this type of media where you tune into a narrative that goes for hours or days doesn't fit with, with in the Instagram world and they're concerned that the value is going to be diminished. If it, uh, if the, if, if everyone protests there there's fear and the fear is economic, the fear is ratings that people are going to tune out.
1: Okay. So, I think it's a bit of a red herring. I don't buy into the like the, the ubiquitous capitalism argument. I think that's there and it's often a convenient excuse, but I mean we just went through a pandemic and the government just printed a bunch of money, right? And so money is about trust. It's about believing that it has value, right? So if you're saying that we don't have the money to do these things or it's going to affect our money, it's just you're really just saying you don't believe Right now, as for competing um, apples to apples in an Instagram world, I, I don't think that's a very good assessment either. I think it's I think it's all layered. I think it's all layered that while broadcast television doesn't have the place now, it's not exactly the same as it was 40 years ago, um, but it's still there and it's still very important. And everything's kind of built on top of that. And the Olympics of course has the potential to have incredible moments that are all over social media in 32nd clips. Right. And, and there's very artful ways to tell those stories of these athletes in such short clips and the athletes that can do that themselves. I mean, they're going to be really, really successful moving into the next quad. So, you know, I think they're all, those are viable arguments and I mean, it's almost, it's the limitation of these organizations that, that they got to try to keep it under control. Like, i it's not that I don't understand why they try to do what they do. Um, I also just think that they're missing the mark. And that's from the outside. There are many people that can see a lot farther. And that's not to take away. I think the the Olympics, its aspirations are clear and good. And We just got to make it happen. Just got to make it work. So, and I do, I do believe in Thomas Bach. I've met him. I do, he, I think he absolutely values athletes. I think he believes in justice. And, you know, he's just between the the rock and the hard place. I think every big organization is when these kind of cataclysmic events are coming along and how you deal with them. So, leadership is very difficult. Um, And I just hope he finds a way through it as a leader and uh, the Olympics as well. And it's not even going to end here. I mean, Tokyo is just one thing. I mean, the Winter Olympics is a whole other kit and caboodle. I don't even want to start talking about that yet. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's
0: a that's a, that's a topic for another day. But it's a, a my, my point in terms of capitalism is that capitalism creates the sense of scarcity. I like the fact that you're like, hey, you can just print money and it's about belief. That does, mm-hmm. that, that in terms of the philosophy of like, look, guys, this is what life's about. Yeah, it comes down to trust. And we can just make it happen. And where do we want to put our interest and value and time and energy? Something i always loved about the Olympic movement was that, uh, you know, Pierre de Coubertin started the modern Olympics in 1896. And he was, and it was really about bringing the world together to compete and, and be together. So we walk in as nations and then with the closing ceremonies, everyone's mixed together. And how can you be at war? How, you know, when you have this experience and I love that I wish the IOC were much more vocal in terms of a message of peace and, uh, and inclusion and, and, and really took a high road. Uh, I I felt like that's been missing and that, that, that's, that's, that is, that's a message that we should re-embrace and, and, and in a fundamentalist way.
1: I think they're clinging to a fundamentalist interpretation of that as opposed to an evolving one. Right. There's always new ways of like how you envision what inclusion is and um in the and the greater, broader humanity. So hey, but the larger organizations always lag behind what's happening on the ground. But it's up to us to make sure they keep up. They gotta catch up.
0: And it, what's funny is that <clears throat> leadership is uh, if if we had to like take some uh, the median age, it would probably break somewhere in the 60s. But it's uh you know you're you're dealing with people who are in their late 40s, early 50s and into their 80s and they are they're controlling this this thing called the Olympics and that's that's the way it's been for a very very long time you're 40 years are you 40 years old now you're going you're about to turn 40 you just turned
1: 40. Turn 40 this, this is oh, it buddy. this is my last moon of uh, of being 30s
0: <laughs> so you're i just want i just want you to know you're going to blink and then you're going to be 50 and, uh, you're already, you're already somebody who is, is, uh, you know, I don't know if you're sitting at a table, but you're, you're probably the doors open and someone said, Hey, you can, you can have this chair over here, but you're, you're going to be in the inner circle. And even, even if you're not a part of the Olympic movement, you, it, just organically opportunities will come to you to be in leadership. That's just, that will happen. Uh, do you, do you think it's a situation where we're 10 years away? from like-minded individuals stepping in and, and taking leadership and, ch- and changing the
1: trajectory of the movement? You're uh, talking about the Olympic movement? Yeah. You know, I I don't know. I haven't tried to, uh, to speculate on that. But, I mean, there's been a lot of organizing and reform of, you know, rules, bylaws, whatnot, when it comes to athlete representation and trying to, like, the intake of athlete leaders, um, really trying to make that more relevant, more important, more guided by principle instead of necessarily just, like, appointment, right? Um, So, I mean, we're seeing that even at FINA, right? FINA, big, dark FINA. You know, they're having their first actual, like, athlete elections summer in Fukuoka to determine, you know, like, the athletes themselves will vote who will be on the athlete committee, um, USA Swimming is going through broad reforms as well now too. And the, the, the entire U.S. Uh, Olympic and Paralympic uh, movement is. So, you know, stakeholder involvement is, is getting more involved. Um, there's a desire for it, there's a demand for it. Um, and right, and because we need to hear, like we need to hear from the athletes, we need to hear from everybody. And if nothing else, right? Like, you know, believe, you can believe what you want about social justice. I'm convinced that I'm on the correct side of history on this. But we didn't listen before. And what do we have now? Safe sport, right? Like how many victims have we had over the last decades? Because the voice was pushed down. So hey, anyways, yeah, we got we gotta we gotta do better.
0: should opened should have opened open this podcast with that statement that that was very yes. That was it. That is that, that is the meat of this entire conversation. I have not thought about it that way, but that is entirely correct. Uh, It is
1: kind of, it is entangled when you, when you don't listen, (laughs) bad things are going to keep happening. Do you want it to fall on us on the sport or do we want to like get ahead of it and make it better?
0: and And there, there are, there are no secrets. We, we, we know we sometimes second, third hand, we know, we know the score. We know what's going on. Uh, in in terms of having you here, in terms of this of this talking about this, it's a. As as I look at you, I I'm I'm I think how much I love my sport, and how much it's a part of, of my personal identity and happiness and and sense of self esteem, and I'm I, it just feels like joy as I get older. I appreciate it more and more, and your medals, they, it's true they, they don't matter. You like the connection and the friendships, but if but I want my sport. Swimming, your sport. I want, but it's my sport. I want my sport to be successful into the future, and I am absolutely terrified that it's that it's not getting there when it's one percent black, six percent mixed, because that is that does not mirror the trajectory of where our nation is now and where it's going, and uh, that 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 scares me. Scares me.
1: I wouldn't say it scares me, but. It's a daunting task, right? If you look at USA Swimming and what it actually is, and you know where its boundaries normally seem to lie, I mean, was USA Swimming at fault for, um, you know, Jim Crow and taking the pools away from from Black Americans, right? Or the in, the instilling of, of a culture where uh, where only whites are allowed in the water? No, but can you be responsible for? that historical legacy? Can you like do something to improve that? And I think the answer is yes. And every indication that I've gotten from the staff level at USC so I mean, is they want to do it. It's, it's just a question like how, how do we do it? We need help. So we need to get them that help. For those of us that, that care about it, we, we're gonna have to get some shovels out and start digging, right? Cause um, it isn't gonna happen automatically. And I certainly wanna believe that, that swimming wants to be as broadly an inclusive sport as can be. And we can, we can lead the way there. So yeah, the numbers, they will, keep the demographics, it's always, those are, you know, talk business, the KPIs, right? Um, then, like th- those are a thing, absolutely. Um, and we need to make sure that those people that feel isolated and alone in our sport, don't, we need to connect them with more people, um, that are like, so that they don't feel bewildered, um, and, and, and alone, but there there is a path for them to go. And there is a community, right. And the swim community is a great one. As you say, I love the sport. And when I was younger, I was very frustrated. I was actually talking to, um, a swimmer last night, you know, and he's, you know, he, now he's exiting being a Navy SEAL. And uh, he was a swimmer before and, you know, he was caught up in this idea that just like swimming had to suck if you were to be good at it. Right. Like there there was this relationship of just like, of just frustration and, and anguish and suffering, um, that goes along with the sport. But as you and I know, the further along you go with it, the more you learn to like let that go or at least submit to, um, why that may needed to have happened in order for you to advance and then it's i mean i don't want to like fully let it go right like if i can just swim forever and that's all i had to do um that would be great but i know the body keeps the score on this one (laughs) i'm really hoping that uh that the country can and i I absolutely has the talent to do it you know they they have to prove it and take me down Take me all the way down. Maybe I won't even make semifinals. Um, but yeah, like time can switch how you feel about it. Is um, it's incredible and taking those lessons. And I mean, I guess that's how you and I can lead in the sport, right, Mel?
0: I, I like that you brought it back to um, you put us back in the pool. And I, I know you're a middle-aged man now, and I'm not saying that you're gonna re- that you're that you're gonna retire after the Olympics. But uh, is is there a chance that like you know you, you know ask them a little faster than I thought it would at trials? Do you do you keep showing up? Do you keep going to the the pro meets? Do you do you keep racing?
1: Seems unlikely to be honest. I I had a serious pivot to the wild waters even after Rio, and um, I'm gonna miss having the organizing drive of competition to keep giving, getting more from my body. And, um, but you know, even in the absence of competitions, being out at the ocean and challenging myself and the myself in those conditions makes me want to still make sure my body, um, is getting stronger, um, without letting it just go to, to waste and just pain management, right? Cause when you're not into something or you're doing nothing at all, when you're older, it's just like you become pain management. It's not about getting stronger. And so I think there's a natural pivot so that I can continue to be stronger and, and thrive into my fifties. Cause you said I, I'm going to blink and it's going to be my forties are going to be gone. So I, I hope I'm, um, I'm, I'm doing something that's that I love and, and is still at least tangentially connected to the sport of swimming. You've been listening to the swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week.